Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pick Six podcast, where, like the red white game, we are going to touch on a lot of subjects today. Uh, we but may, not tackle. We, we probably tackle. won't tackle a ton tackle until the second, the, half. the second half of the podcast, much like okay. the, yeah. we'll bring the, the interns in to we, tackle the subjects. That <laughs> 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 yeah, we're so a lot of touch, a little bit of tackle, a lot of questions probably will remain at the end of this podcast Last as well. Chance. I'm Evan Bland with Sam McEwen, Jimmy Watkins of the Omaha World Herald Pick Six Podcast post spring game edition coming you to you on a, on a kind of rainy and windy Tuesday. Um, and yeah, it, it's the end of spring. Spring has sprung for Nebraska, and here we are to kind of talk about what do you guys think of the spring game? I think that's kind of been one of the <laughs> the, the topics of discussion here in the last few days. The format. What, what did you guys uh, take away from that thing? This is th- Jimmy's first. It was my first. I think I wouldn't have wanted to pay to to attend. I don't know what tickets were going for, but if I Ten was bucks. taking my kid in there to see Casey Thompson, Trey Palmer, and all the newfangled gadgets that Nebraska football was promising all spring. I didn't get to see much of that stuff. Um, and I didn't get to really see football until the guys that no one had ever heard of went in the game. And, you know, there's something to be said for being inside Memorial Stadium. It's a cool venue. It's a historic venue. If you're a, if you're a Nebraska fan, you're probably just happy every time you step inside there. Or sad more recently, but in spring we're happy. But yeah, it was. I considered it from a viewership perspective a dud. I don't think that Nebraska cares about that. I don't think their goal was to put out an entertaining product. Clearly, their goal was not to put out an entertaining product. But yeah, from a viewer pers- viewership perspective, shrug. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't like the first half format. So I, I they've done this two years in a row now, where they do the they it's they call it a thud, but it's not thud. It's just touch. Mm-hmm. You don't really have to do anything other than touch the guys. Um, I would get rid of that. Um, I just go to you know full tackle. Don't worry about it. You know you got guys at the end of the game that are getting tackled in the second half. Yant was in there a little bit in the second half. I'm not sure. You know like you're not football gods aren't actually real. Sometimes we we refer to them, but they're they're fictional. And so you're not going to get penalized by them if you tackle in the first half keep the green jerseys on the quarterbacks and all the rest i mean all the linemen were banging around and doing all the things they normally do um, it would have been cool to see you know the running backs have to finish some runs and and the, the the defense have to tackle them because i think what happened was it made the pass game just hard to execute because you didn't have a run game to play off of um, and i do think that if they'd been kind of running downhill at that defense we might have seen a few things um, we might have seen that offense kind of kind of hum a little bit and maybe maybe score a couple of touchdowns, which would have been cool. Um, so I thought that was that's probably the thing that I would change uh, about it. Um, I understand why they play backups and reserves in the second half. Everybody kind of understands that. That's sort of spring game tradition. That's why we always used to have you know the Chris Butlers of the world or whatever make these big games. And so uh, everybody knows that's going to happen. I just wish there had been a little bit more. In the first half, and I, you know, I, I wish Casey Thompson had gotten more of a more of a couple of drives. I mean, his third drive was a sixty-yard touchdown by Anthony Grant. By the way, Anthony Grant was down, but exactly. they didn't call yeah. it, and half the defense thought he was down. Yeah, and so you know, he was. Uh, they didn't call it, and so you know, Thompson didn't get an opportunity on that drive to throw a, f- a few more passes, and then they took him out. And I'm not sure, like you know, I think in that moment you have to have a nod to. The fans go, hey, you know, let's let's put him out there again. Let him throw a few more passes. Fans are here to see him. Um, you know, Logan Smothers got plenty of work. So did he need to throw fourteen while Casey Thompson threw four? Probably not. Yeah, That's no, my I, take on it. And and we can talk about this a little bit more too. But I felt like it was an event where Nebraska didn't really know what it was. Like, is this a thing that you put on for fifty thousand people that show up? Uh, 
and it didn't feel necessarily like that. Is this a thing that's just for the team? Like, is this just another another workout, another practice where they get more reps? No, it wasn't really that. It was something a little different. Was this for the recruits? I mean, Nebraska had a ton of a ton of recruiting presence there. Probably their biggest one. I mean, in in years, really. Um, I mean, yes, it was. Even then, you want it to be a sort of a spectator thing. You want the recruits to go, whoa, look at the play that guy made, right? Right, like, it was super vanilla. What, what did Frost say? It was dreadfully simple with the offense. And, you know, that's that's in keeping with what they've done for years, kind of keep things shrouded and secretive and, and that sort of thing. But it just kind of felt like it didn't know what it was. And even just to your point, even in the in the game itself, it's like, well, okay, first half we'll, we'll do two-hand touch or one-hand touch, and then the second half – We'll open it up to the bench and the reserves and, and see what happens. And so it just it kind of felt disjointed and a, and a little like it just didn't know what it wanted to be. I think the defense was a little bit more keyed up too. They just I think they came into it with more energy and more, you know, you know what I mean? Like they had a little bit more they had a little bit more juice, and I think it showed. And uh, I think they wanted to win that game, and they did. And um, you know. I think the impression that Nebraska's offense gave in the spring game was that they've got a lot of work to do. And that's probably true, but I think you have to think about the impression you want to give to fans. And the impression you want to give to fans is, um, hey, this thing's on track and it's looking good. I don't know that they gave that impression per se. So um, it'll be a long off season. I think four and a half months we've got to wait here. Uh, so it's, it's going to be some time. We talked for a couple weeks now about, like, the fact that we are finally going to lay eyes on some of these people and, and ideas that we've really just talked about throughout spring. Did you feel like you guys uh, confirmed or questioned anything from what you had heard, or was the format such that it just, you know, it didn't make much of a difference in your perception? Yeah, it was it was tough to to come away with any real takeaways, particularly with the offense, because some of that energy that that Sam said the defense had, the offense had, I agree that the defense had more juice, but I think. You know, one running back running over a linebacker can change that for you, right? Like those kind of plays can get you jacked up. You, you don't really get to have those plays. You don't get the opportunity to show how much juice you have unless you're an offensive lineman on the offensive side of the ball. But I mean, like, what takeaway could I possibly have from any of the first string guys? Like Anthony Grant, the the play that we all saw from Anthony Grant, we were all excited about. Okay, they touched him down. They also, I think he had another like check down catch that he took for a nice first down that run that was a good play i like that a lot. but other than that like trey palmer two catches 11 yards that's not who that guy is gonna be um i think it was the biggest catch of the day the longest catch of the day was 34 yards Monte grimes right and he, even then mm-hmm. like if you saw the replay he was bobbling it and miles farmer could have uh broken that pass no up let's put it, it let's put no it that question. way um i don't know i guess the one takeaway i did have and this isn't a, this is if you told me that the the format would have been what it was, I wouldn't have been surprised by this. Logan Smothers didn't look great as a straight drop back passer, but that's not what this offense is supposed to be about. It's, I mean, I think in, in, in to some degree, they had the the straight dropbacks to test the quarterbacks, test their ability to read the, the field. But that's not what the offense is going to be. The offense is going to be a pass game that's predicated off the run game. There's going to be a lot of play action. It's going to be the defense not knowing what's coming. That's the idea is to keep the defense on their toes. The defense <laughs> knew what was happening the entire game, and there was, there was really no reason to key in on a run because it's two-hand touch football. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. As someone who had to write takeaways from that game <laughs> after the game, it was difficult. Yeah, I just, what got confirmed? What did I take away? Well, you saw a couple of different pass concepts that I like, including that little running back drag route coming one side, the angle route coming the other side. I thought that was neat. Um, I thought the push for the offensive line was decent. I thought they covered well in the back end. Isaac Gifford, I think, had a nice game. I thought he played well. Um, Garrett Nelson looks to have retained his speed. The question with Garrett is actually not pass rush. I mean, I think Garrett was a decent pass rusher last year and will continue to be so. But whether you can put his hand in the ground um, and and not and not create a situation where he gets kicked out. Um, so what he a lot of time he spent in in the game was sort of as a wide nine. Like if you watched his where they set him, kind of in that Philadelphia Eagles wide nine where he's kind of going around a tackle, and that's fine. If you're running the football, you can be out there. But what you're in risk for when you're that far out is the tackle is probably not going to kick you out. Like the, the tackle is going to come down and he's going to 
you know, the tackle's going to come down on the inside linebacker and the, or the guard's going to climb up or somebody's going to go up to a safety and they're going to bring a tight end around and they're going to what they call a wham block or a kick-out block. Uh, wham blocks are a little bit different, but kick him out. <laughs> and then you gotta you got to crease because, you know, so he's gonna have to he's gonna have to close down the edge well as a run blocker as a run defender, set that edge well. That's gonna be a challenge for Garrett at two sixty five, but or whatever he is. But I thought he played really well, and and I you know there's some there's some certain effective parts. I don't know enough, and I need to talk to Shenander more about this. There's things going on in the sport of defense, the sport of defense, the sport of football as it relates to defense, where. They're getting defenses have figured out a way to put six guys in a box with that seventh being a leak, can go either way, and they're finding a way to stop the run. Which is, I've got to watch more of what Wisconsin does and what Nebraska's been doing because they pulled it off. Like they, they, they were able to successfully have two sort of endish guys or defensive tackles, two inside linebackers. Uh, uh, you know, a guy with his hand up, you know, stand-up guy like Tanner, and a guy with his hand down like Nelson, that's six, and then bring Doman in as a seventh to borrow in, and they're able to do it. And and it's Wisconsin does it, Nebraska does it, Iowa has a more traditional system, they're 4-3. Michigan, if you looked at Michigan's defense last year, it was very similar to what Nebraska was doing, kind of spare parts all over. Um, it's intriguing how they're able to do this because I think defense has found an answer for some of the spread stuff is they stay in these personnel packages that take away some of these spread things. That way that third linebacker is more like an Isaac Gifford. So I want to watch the spring game again and then watch Nebraska's defense again last year and kind of figure out how they're able to put all that together because the pictures looked pretty good, to be very honest with you. And you'd be surprised because they're not – they're not lining up the fearsome foursome. This isn't the Sue, Crick, Pierre Allen, Barry Turner front four of 09. Right. It's not as good. But they're still, man- they're still managing to stop the run, which means I think defensive coaches have figured something out as to how they're going to do that. Because when I watch Nelson and Tanner out there, I'm like, well, look, if I'm a defense, I'm going I'm, I'm to bring my guard, I'm going to bring my tackle down, and I'm going to kick out. Garrett Nelson, and we're going to run the ball off tackle all day long until they stop it. So those are the things that my mind goes through versus, well, Nelson's getting around the tackle. You know, that's what I thought. And the the Nelson thing too, like, I feel like his next step. How many times last year did he sort of rush the passer maybe on a delay, and they passed it right over his head for a big game? And we sure. saw, we saw that a number of times too. So like, as he's more experienced in the defense, knows when to drop, knows when to rush. He looked legit. Yeah, and, and like there were some things. And Damon too. Benning, who was working for BTN, uh, did a good job of explaining that on one of his pass rushes, Nelson hit. You know, he came at the right angle, but he was also able to dip his his shoulder, and he dipped it under the arm of sort of Brant Banks, and other tackles will pick that up. But that's really hard to stop. Like if you get a big man coming at you fast, and he's able to bring his shoulder down as he come as you come as he comes around your edge, it's very hard to block that. Mm-hmm. You have to you you have to great athletes who get out, and then that athlete's got to be able to you know I mean, he's got to get all the way out there, and then he's got to be able to stone you. And it's it's possible that Nelson develops into a really really good pass rusher. Aiden Hutchinson, you know, is a little bit bigger, and he was an elite pass rusher in part because of his effort. But it's still the conundrum of okay, you can put that guy out there, but how do you stop the run? Like how do you, how do you consistently keep that guy in in the action? And how is he going to know when it's run versus pass? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you can you can bolt that guy off the ball, and and he can take himself out of a run play. So to me, that's going to be the bigger jigsaw puzzle. Is that I think Nebraska's got a pass defense now. They have a scheme, and they have enough players to where I, the picture looks pretty good. The run defense is the bigger question. And as that game went on, you saw some of the things that can happen. They don't have a lot of depth on the defensive line. The number three offensive line against the number three defensive line, that picture was not good. The defense, the the, the front seven, the number three front seven with Marquise Black and those young inside linebackers, that was not a good picture. I mean, the, the offense dominated them. Mm-hmm. We were just not paying much attention by that point because everything had already, you know, like, the starters were out. But it was notable to watch 
that those younger offensive linemen were deeper and healthier and more physical. And I mean, you know, Jalen Weaver and Marquise Black have a long way to go. A long way to go. Uh, a couple times Weaver didn't even really get down in a stance. Like he was just kind of standing <laughs> because they were going tempo. And He's a that big was, dude. He's 6'9". He is. He is. I, it's very hard for a giant guy like that to be an interior lineman. Um, but I, you just didn't love the picture as they got down into the, the lower groups of the defensive line. Watching it again on TV, I'm like, they're really going to have to go to the transfer portal and get a couple other players because I, I don't think they can hold up in the run. That's the question. Can they hold up as a run defense? As a pass defense, they look pretty darn good. I'll give you one other takeaway that I had, too. And I thought Chubba Purdy looked really good. I mean, especially for a guy who had just come back that week from a, a foot injury. He practiced once or twice. I don't think it was settled that he would even play a few weeks out. And so he was out there. I thought his speed was was better than maybe what I would have given him credit for before that. Uh, you know his his knowledge of the system seemed to be on par with the other guys who got those spring reps, and so I I think, you know I, I was thinking Sam like when was the last time Nebraska had legitimate quarterback depth? I think you probably got to go back like ten years, right? I mean I I don't think whether it was uh, Tommy Armstrong or whether it was Adrian Martinez, there just wasn't a lot of when Taylor Tommy and Ron Kellogg there. were there. I think that was legit. I mean Taylor got hurt. And Tommy and Ron tag-teamed it from there, and I thought that was a pretty good picture. Okay. Ron Kellogg was not a bad quarterback. I mean, he was, he was decent. They, he, won, he won them a game. Like he, Which is rare. He won Nebraska them the game coach. at Penn State. Like, and Penn State was not bad. Penn State was, I think, 7-5, and 8-4. Okay. Ron guess, won that game. So I would say that year or, you know, I mean, go back to 2010, and mm-hmm. you had Taylor, and you had Zach Lee, and you had Cody Green – um, and they needed uh, they needed all three of them mm-hmm. in the middle of that season. Remember, Taylor got hurt, then Zach comes in, then Zach got hurt, then Cody comes in, then Cody got a concussion, and then they had to bring in Rex Burkett. It's just I just to, think... run, to run wild Rex. Remember that at sure. Iowa State? Yeah, I do. Yep. And then Taylor came in; he could barely move. <laughs> so I just think it's notable because you know Nebraska's had five scholarship quarterbacks before. They did a few years ago, but like. You know, Purdy was a former four-star kid. I thought again, he looked the part on Saturday. I thought he played okay. And so, you think you played okay, Jimmy? I did. Yeah, I thought he played so, all right. You know, like if Nebraska to AJ Rollins was legit on the corner. No, I thought I thought it looked pretty good. If Nebraska continues to run the quarterback as it will, some and if injuries occur as they do, like it just feels like there's not going to be that drop off that maybe we've seen the last handful of years. I think. No, that, he got that's, out that's of the pocket. Notable. I thought that was good development. Yeah, he, I thought he looked all right. Casey Thompson's got a live arm. And they're going to have to find a way to make sure that he's, you know, handling that. The best throw of the day was probably the first throw of the game because if that is a bad throw, that's an interception for a touchdown. Yeah, that's big. That was I a was, good throw. I think it could have still been intercepted. Well, I don't think Isaac Gifford. It was a. It was a. It was a tight window. Optically, it looked like it could have, but I think if Isaac had been able to get there, he would have. I think he got out there about as fast as he could. Based on what was being asked of him on that play, honestly, I think it was just a really good throw. Now, is it, I don't know if it was a well-advised throw, but it's it was kind of what, I'm, what I'm getting at there. Oh yeah, yeah, right. If that had been JoJo, maybe it is. But you know, Thompson made a calculated risk and he threw a good pass. He he's got he's got a, he's got a gun. Like he can throw the ball hard. He's just you know we'll have to see more of it and we'll have to see. But, you know, on third and long, I thought he did the right thing. He, threw, he fired a 10-yard pass to Boer Kircher on third and 21, which is exactly what you need to do. You you, you know, wh- the one thing I think Whipple's going to tell him is um, we're done freaking out about not scoring on every drive. I think there's going to be a mindset of don't turn the ball over. If we've got a punt, let's punt. Get what we can, and let's get out of there. I think it's more of an NFL mindset. In the NFL, if it's third and 21, the chances of you getting third and 21 in the first quarter of a game, you don't even care. You get your seven, you take your draw, and you get you, you play field position. I think at times Nebraska football has been very focused on scoring as, on as many drives as humanly possible, and as a result, they tend to make mistakes. And so I think Whipple will teach them 
to take what they can get and, and, and stay on schedule. And So I thought that was a nice play, even though it was third and long and they didn't get the first down. And Casey Thompson spoke to that afterwards. He said the two things that he was oh, yeah. tasked with were staying healthy and taking care of the ball. And so it didn't really phase him, or it didn't seem to anyway, that the offense had one touchdown in the first half. Yeah. Let's uh, this this will be kind of a fun exercise. So before the spring began, we did sort of a draft of coaches and transfers and all sorts of different characters that we thought maybe would be the biggest storylines or, or or something that would intrigue us the most. Let's look back through that, see how we did. Maybe maybe you can kind of break down some of our earlier picks, Sam, or lay that out there. We'll yeah. see how we did. So what I'll do is we we went we picked ten guys each. <clears throat> and we picked, uh, I think we picked one new coach. Um, let's see here. Three. Five returners, two early enrollees, and two transfers. Is that equal 10? Three, three transfers. Three, three transfers. Yep. Okay. And so. Um, so I think we picked 11 total. Yeah. We picked 11. Okay. So we picked 11 guys. I will go through our first, second, third picks all together. So here are the first picks, and then we'll, we'll try to zip through this quickly. Evan had Casey Thompson. Jimmy had. Garrett Nelson. Sam had Mark Whipple. What jumps out there? Nelson. I mean, he, that was a great spring game that he had. I mean, not not only the spring game, but just the story around Garrett Nelson right now is that he's the he's the new heartbeat of the defense, right? He's the guy that everyone's looking for looking to and he's the he's Chevy the, truck. <laughs> yeah, he's the he's the new face of the defense. He was the first, one of the first guys out there to talk during spring ball. He was Everyone else is talking about him as as that kind of guy, talking about him maturing. He's not no longer as as silly. <laughs> I think it would be a good word for wow. it. He's taking it more seriously. Um, less, he said himself, he's yelling less. There's less of that. I think that people associate football leadership with yelling. Like they, they see Ray Lewis, like everyone should be like that guy. Yeah. I think if you're not that guy, don't be that guy. And I right. think there was maybe a little bit of that with Garrett Nelson early on, thinking that okay, I'm a football player, I gotta be yell rah rah guy. Yeah. And he's still rah rah guy. He still is. Yeah. He still is. But he has said it himself. <laughs> he's he's toned it yeah. back. Yeah. yeah he and, has he's done, and he's done so intentionally yes. because he realizes that he is in a different stage yes. of leadership now. He's and a I little think less of a caricature. I think that's important. Right. Right. Look at this. I broke my thumb. Yeah, there's, not enough, there's less bro in him, and that's a good thing. Uh, Mark Whipple talked to us, I think, two or three times. Impressed each time. Obviously a really smart guy, kind of inside his head, still still working through the process. Casey Thompson, you know, uh, certainly has it as a leader. I mean, he has a good presence after a game and all that. But I think those are all hits. I mean, he, command, picks, he, commands your, he commands your attention. Thompson does. He does. Yep, he didn't say too much. Sure. Like he, his press conferences are kind of boring, and boring is yeah. good. But he's got a, he's like got a certain level of presence to him. Second round picks: Mickey Joseph for Evan. Jimmy goes Chuba Purdy. Sam goes Omar Brown. Omar Brown hardly played. Uh, Mickey Joseph, impressive, big winner. Yeah. yeah, he yeah he was he's always a treat to listen to 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 talk with. Clearly resetting a culture in that room. Um, yeah, I mean, just the standard that he's putting out there for, for players to meet, what players say about him, not to mention the off-the-field stuff, uh, his presence as a recruiter. Trev Alberts on Saturday actually talked about how important Mickey Joseph has been in bringing back a lot of former players into the fold and and, and sort of sparking that communication that hasn't always been great among a lot of the alums. So, yeah, I, I think he's been a major winner this spring. Chubba Purdy didn't practice for much of spring, but he played in the spring game. And again, I think we agree that he did pretty well. Omar Brown hardly played. He was a deep reserve. I think he did appear in the spring game. Round three picks. Caleb Tanner for Evan. Trey Palmer for Jimmy. And for Sam, Xavier Betts. Mm. And Xavier Betts was one of the biggest stories of camp. Um, I still think there's a chance that Xavier comes back. Um, I think there's a real chance of that. The question is, he's got to decide he wants to do it, and then Scott Frost has to be okay with that. Um, I still think that this offense is going to be better, oh, a hell of a lot better if he's there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot to ask, uh, you know, Janoran Bonner coming in uh, and 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 hitting right away as a as a deep threat. I think you want to try to keep Trey Palmer in the slot if you can. Um, and Omar Manning is a different player over the top than Xavier Betts, and so we'll we'll see what happens there on Trey Palmer. Interesting guy. Didn't do a lot in the spring game, but the reports about Trey Palmer is he's the real deal. 
didn't do a lot during the spring game. Doesn't say a lot. Kind of a. Uh, he said a lot, but he didn't say a just lot. He, he puffs really his chest it. out. He puffs his chest out, but he doesn't. Funny. He's he's pretty short winded at the mic. Um, yeah. I would say I would describe Trey Palmer as the carrot in front of Nebraska fans' face yeah. right now. He's the tease. He's the guy that everyone says is going to be, you know, this, that, and the other thing. He's right. this guy who can be a game breaker. We just haven't seen it yet, right. and we're still waiting to see it. So it's just like he's. I'm excited to see what Trey Palmer can do. I felt that way at the beginning of the spring. Yeah. I still feel that way today. But um, both with him and Chubba Purdy, a lot of value going forward. So if, if we exp- ext- expand the draft going forward, I feel like my picks will get stronger. Mm. Caleb I, Tanner was on that list too. Yeah. We didn't he has hear an it. interesting relationship with Trey Palmer in the spring. <laughs> we didn't hear a ton about Caleb Tanner this spring. But but like I feel like that's kind of because he's sort of a given in the defense. Like yeah, I don't know bit. that he made a huge – step forward at least from what we heard but like he's going to be a fixture opposite Garrett Nelson yeah they like him not a huge storyline but solid fourth round picks Anthony Grant for Evan Logan Smothers for Jimmy and Ethan Piper for Sam uh Anthony Grant yep I like that picture after the line once he gets past the line of scrimmage like the picture a lot yep shifty speedy uh, in, a, in a room that's begging for somebody somewhere to become that feature guy, it seems like he has a chance to maybe do that with some of the oh, skill set so. that he has. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he, he definitely had a good spring. Took some strides. He's got some speed downfield. You know, granted he was down, down, but he he outran everybody at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think he's got some great stuff going for him. Smothers, you know, I I, I think it, I think there's a place for Logan Smothers on this team, but simultaneously. They've got to figure out what that is, and I think they've got to be able to be flexible enough to develop plays for him that work for him because sitting in that pocket is not where he where he lives and breathes. Yeah, he remains interesting to me because of the moving parts around him, um, and that means the new quarterbacks. He's he's an, he's the old face in the in room with a bunch of new guys, and the offense is changing around him in a way that does not suit his style, like you said, Sam. So for his you know, obviously for Logan Smothers, Logan Smothers plans to be the starting quarterback in Nebraska one day. So yeah. how he develops, how he improves within the new system that they're running is interesting going forward. And like you said, how Nebraska adjusts to him. If, if they want, at least for this year, they want him to make an impact on the field. Yeah, they're going to have to kind of carve out a role for him. Yeah. You know, one of those drop back passes becomes a QB dart with a lead tackle mm. block. That's a 25-yard play. There's things that Logan Smothers can do for this team. We will uh, we will see Ethan Piper battling Trent Hickson at center. It looks like Hickson's won that job or is very close to winning it. Piper was banged up mm-hmm. uh, for the spring game. Maybe he will compete at guard. Fifth round picks was Henry Lutovsky for Evan, Jaden Gould for Jimmy, and Deshaun Singleton for me. Singleton had a strong camp. I think there was, uh, and I've talked to a few people about it, uh, there's a sense that there's still a lot to learn, but there's things that Singleton does really well that they're going to be able to use going forward. I would say that this season for Deshaun Singleton is probably going to be a Deontay Williams 2018 kind of season. I think you're probably yeah. going to see him play. I don't know that he's going to start. I think you've got Miles Farmer and maybe Marquise Buford and maybe Noah Paul Gates, but Singleton, you give that guy a year. I think you're going to see that 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 things go really well for him. He he made a couple of flash moments in spring. I know Lutovsky is in the mix, right? Uh, I, I thought maybe with some of the guys who are out, he would make more noise than he did mm-hmm. this spring. I didn't hear his name a ton, but you know, again, the old line really didn't name drop many people at all. We just didn't hear that from Donovan Rayola or the the players. Uh, I, I still think he can be an interior factor for them this fall, but. I, you know, again, I don't know that he publicly at least took that spring step forward that I thought he might. Yeah, it looks like Jaden Gould's heading for a red shirt. I think he's probably the fifth or sixth safety at this point. I was as long as think, Farmer stays healthy and those other guys. Who who would we classify as having the best spring of the early enrollees? I don't think we heard a ton about Houseman. Houseman. Which we will get to at the okay. end. Yeah, I think Ernest Houseman. Okay. Or Grant. Grant, yeah. Grant, is, Grant is not a transfer. He's a junior college guy. Right. So. But Houseman of the freshman, I think, would be the one. Sixth round, Nash Hutmaker for Evan, Donovan Rayola for Jimmy, and for Sam, Ty Robinson. Well, I think Ty Robinson looked good in the spring game. Uh, Nash Hutmaker looked pretty good. He can push guys, that's for sure. He's strong. 
Yeah, I thought that was sort of the theme for him was like he's got all the physical ability oh, you want, the brute strength. You see him weightlifting and, and seeing those videos on social media. But the I thought it was interesting that the coaches pretty much put out there that the key for him is translating all that into football moves, into football oh, no success. And so clearly with the, 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 the depleted nature of the defensive line, he's going to get some chances barring additions down the road. But he took some steps forward too. Yeah, I agree with that. Donovan Riola. We heard from him, I think, once in camp. Um, players seem to like him. It's good to see him interact on the field before the game in a setting where he's clearly more at, at ease or more comfortable than you know he is with the media. Uh, uh, media does not seem to be his his preferred mode of transportation. Bag. Yeah, yeah, he kind of batted the one uh, session that he did have. He kind of batted every question away no question. that that we asked. But I think you know. I think no news is probably good news on that front. It's kind of most players are going to like. They're going to say good things about their new coach. I don't know if they're going to like him, but they're going to say good things about their new coach. The Donovan Rayola uh, story arc will be defined by what happens this fall with the offensive line. True enough. Next one. Uh, this is a good one for Evan. Uh, seventh round pick, Isaac Gifford for Evan, Jimmy, Kevin Williams, Sam, Brian Buschini. We'll start with Gifford. I thought he, boy, I thought he did some nice things in the spring game. Yeah. I think yeah. he's probably ahead at that nickel spot. Over sure. I mean, Klarvik, don't yeah, you? Klarvik made the switch, right? Javen Wright was out and Gifford had already sort of been trending in that spot late last year when Doman was out with the injury anyway. So yeah, I think he did nothing to... To quell the idea that he's that leader in the clubhouse for that nickel, uh, Nebraska has said they may look at some of the other defensive backs depending on how the the cornerback and the safety positions settle out. But yeah, I think Gifford continued to lay claim to to being that lead guy at nickel. You had Williams. Yeah, I'd he look- had Kevin Williams, who was a number two left tackle behind Nori Nuwili, and then I had Brian Buschini, who had some great punts. Mm-hmm. And some man punt. He's going to be enormously important to this team. I thought Kevin Williams looked all right. I think he looked all right too. I I think that I, I anticipated hearing more name dropping from the offensive lineman, like we were hearing from everyone else. They kind of kept it closer to the vest, so I don't think we have a great idea of what that line looks like, which you know is the way they want it. But I don't think that that's going to ease anyone's nerves because we didn't. I don't think anyone felt great about it coming in. So. TBD yet again. Next up for Evan, Isaiah Garcia Castaneda. He didn't play. No. He was out in spring. Yep. Uh, so we don't have much to say there. Jimmy had Bryce Benhart, and I had <laughs> Thomas Fedoni. Fedoni is yeah. out. He's a knee injury of some sort. I don't know when he's going to be back. Bryce Benhart looked the best of the offensive tackles who played. I will say that. He looked certainly better than Ezra Miller and certainly better than Brant Banks. who Banks struggled. At left tackle, um, on on Saturday, I thought Ben Hart looked okay, and Garcia Castaneda didn't play. Right, we'll have to see what he looks like come training camp. Next on the list for Evan Javier Morton, for Jimmy Victor Jones, for Sam Ernest Hausman. We'll start with Hausman. Yeah, uh, Hausman uh, came in physically ready. I think they really liked the the things that he was able to do early. Kind of saw him out there with the number threes. Uh, so he was out there with uh, with with Mackay Bayer, inside linebacker. Obviously, Nick Henrich and Edevon Maga Clements were the the top two guys, and then you you know you saw a group of different Clement Maga Clements was playing a little bit with the twos as well, and then you saw Hausman, uh, Bayer, uh, Malcolm. I think Malcolm played That's all so. in that sort of group. Now you're going to get back Luke Reimer, who was hurt. And Garrett Snodgrass, those are probably your top three inside backers. And it won't surprise me if they pursue a fourth. And it won't surprise me if Brandon Jennings is on that list. Jennings is the guy that was at Maryland last year, the five-star. I think he was a five-star guy or four-star guy. He went to Kansas State, didn't work out at K-State. Uh, he was there this spring. And so he's back in the list. We know there's a nifty little trade route between Manhattan and Lincoln. There is. <laughs> there is. That's right. Uh, so I think Hausman is a guy they love. And it's probably going to play next year, I think, uh, uh, on special teams or something like that. Victor Jones mm, didn't hear, didn't much see about a lot him. of him. He's yeah. he's down the down the depth chart. Uh, I think they wanted to see what Hardy Neville and and Grimes brought to the picture. And then Javier Morton <coughs> was at corner. 
he's obviously not one of their top four corners at right. this point. Uh, next list uh, for Evan, Marquise Buford. That was a good late draft pick. Yeah. Um, Jimmy had Chancellor Brewington, injured, didn't play. Uh, and then I had Tommy Hill. Good one. We'll start with the the one at the top of the list there, Marquise Buford. I was really impressed by Marquise Buford, and I think there was some question, at least publicly, going into the spring about where he was best suited, corner or safety, and they like him at safety, even though he's a little bit shorter there. But, man, I mean, physically he looks the part. The way he carries himself, I was really impressed with. Like, I think it's a fun exercise to project a year or two down the road and see like who who's a potential captain or leader for these guys in the future. I think he checks all those boxes from what I've seen from him down the road. And the fact that he's in the running to be a starter this next year, uh, I mean, he, he's, he was a guy who was highly recruited out of high school, did the postgraduate route. He seems like someone who's ready to, to play right now. Just the way Fisher talks about him too, right? Like <clears throat> all the things that, that Travis Fisher cares about. He puts those guys through, we've talked about this before, a lot in that defensive back room. He gives them a test every week. He makes sure that they, they have to know all the responsibilities at safety and corner. He'll switch them up at any any moment in time and, he, the way he talks about Marquise Buford, Marquise Buford is like one of the star pupils in their cornerback uh, classroom, and that's a great sign going forward. Tommy Hill looks a lot like Cam Taylor Britt, having seen him now in person. He looks mm-hmm. a lot like him in terms of, I, I, I mean, physically, he's sort of a bigger, stocky guy, right? Like Cam is a built 200 pounds, yeah. right? So similar frames. Tommy Hill's got a similar frame, 200 pounds, sort of physically built, physical can get inside the pads of guys. Um, I think they got a guy that's very similar to Cam Taylor Britt in terms of his sort of what he brings to the table. When you look at Quentin Newsom, he's taller, wiry, comes down and tackles really well, but maybe a little bit different of a coverage guy, whereas I think Hill is very similar to Taylor Britt in that he's physical and he's built, could probably play safety, but plays corner and plays a physical corner, and it's probably pretty fast. I kind of liked him. Uh, I think he's probably going to be the starter over there, although Braxton Clark is close, and then Chancellor Brunton was hurt. Last pick, Hunter Anthony for Evan. He didn't play bad. He was all right. Yeah, but he also wasn't playing Garrett Nelson. Gabe Irvin, injured. That's going to be a hard – now, I'll tell you what, if I'm Gabe Irvin and I watch what those three guys did in camp, I, I have to be really prepared to, to have an incredible summer because it's going to be hard to catch Grant Yant and Johnson. That's just my opinion. I, I don't know that Irvin was the mo- I think Irvin is probably maybe the, 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 the fourth, the third most talented in that group, and Johnson's got four years in the system, but and he's be, pretty sure. But to be fair, Irvin was better than Yant and Johnson last year when he was healthy. I mean, well, he was, he was better in the sense that he that he that Yant was, was in a... He was still settling in. I think the idea that a true yeah, freshman... Clearly, <laughs> Yant is the most talented. I mean, he's he's really talented. It's a weight issue, and does he know the playback issue? Yeah, the, the idea that... Sure, but the tr- talent is there. No, it, I'm sure. Because if the talent wasn't there, he wouldn't even be there based on the way that he, he played. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, if he if he was overweight and didn't know the playbook and he wasn't super talented, he wouldn't be there. <laughs> you know that he's talented because of the other two things. And just the way he runs. I mean, you know, that's a, that's a big man with light feet. And you don't you don't see that many big men with light feet. And he can move. He just I like Gant a lot if he's if he's right. We look back at Gabe Irvin winning the starting job, quote unquote, last year. I mean that was it was a rotating door, but he was the first guy on the field uh, of the season. I think it says as much about the state of the rest of that room than it than it as much as it did about Gabe Irvin. And that's fine, but I'm just saying the rest of that room is all very similar to mm-hmm what it was back then. No, and, and there's things about Irvin's game that I think are good. He, he has a little bit of a Divino Zigbo game. He's got some nice moves. Um, I think he runs behind his pads. I think he's decent at accelerating through the blocker. hole. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, I understand all that, the, that, that conversation they had last year. But they've had other running backs in Husker football history who are not good pass blockers, and they played. Because they could run, I I think the pass blocking thing was often used as a, I don't even know. It doesn't matter now. Um, what we did, we what we didn't hear a lot about this spring when Applewhite talked was like, oh my god, you know, they can't pick up a blitz. I, Irvin was pretty good at that, but 
I would just say this, that I, I don't know what the easy comp for Yant is, but, you know, he's not as good as Braylon Allen in the sense that Braylon Allen's got incredible front line speed. And he's not as good as the Jonathan Taylor, right? Sure. But there's qualities to his game that are similar to both. They just he's got moves and he's got some size, and he doesn't have the top end speed that Braylon Allen does, and he doesn't have the the sixth sense that Jonathan Taylor did in kind of timing his way through a hole. But man, there's just a lot to like there. Mm-hmm. And Anthony Grant, they have not had a back like Anthony Grant in a long time. And I don't want to trot out names here, but Ken Clark comes to mind. Or, you know, he this this kid hits a hole hard and he goes. And it, at the second level, mm-hmm. they haven't had a back actually like him in quite some time. I'm not going to say Ahmad Green. But, like, he hits a hole hard. And then Johnson is clearly going to play a lot. Johnson is, is we know that Ramir Johnson is smart. Mm-hmm. So he knows the offense, and he's going to play a lot because he can catch the ball, and he plays hard when he's healthy. He gets hurt. But Ramir Johnson's going to play. So that puts Irvin in a tough spot, and obviously Marquis Stepp is on the outside looking in. Right. And then they're going to add A.J. Allen, and I'm telling you, that kid, that kid's got ability. You see it every year. Freshman break out of that position in college football. He is an Aaron Green electric talent. And if and I don't know that you can I don't know that he's going to be a, a running back, but man, you might want to look at him as a returner. Like there's there's things that AJ Allen brings to the table, so it's going to be an interesting group. It was an interesting spring. I wish we had seen more. I wish we had been able to go to a practice and seen more out of practice. That would have been helpful. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, the, the, the running back. I just add the running back position is interesting to me because it seems like they all they all have specific sort of specialties you know Yance right. the, the big guy Ramir Johnson's sort of the pass catcher in the straight line screamer uh, Grant's probably the shiftiest guy so I guess when I think of Irvin's chances I feel like his best option or, or, or path back to the field is because in my opinion he's maybe the most well-rounded pass blocker run between the tackles has some Possible. speed can catch the ball like I just you know it's interesting because Nebraska in the past has had rooms where the guys are all very similar, mm-hmm. and it feels like they do have a, a variety of specialties now. We'll see. He's he's going to have to get on his horse, so to speak. Anything jump out about recruiting? Yeah. So, well, I mean, it was a huge weekend, yeah. right? Like the the sidelines have been busy before, but it, it was especially notable this weekend. It was. I, thought. I mean, there were guys from. <laughs> the, the, the group of guys from Georgia in the 2023 class were on the the north end zone up against the fence, which is kind of unusual. Usually, you see guys on sort of that northwest corner uh, along the sidelines, but a bunch of these guys—I mean, it was so full that they were off into the into the, actually the back of the end zone. And you know, it was it was just it was a f- kind of a fun weekend. The weather was great for it. You saw a lot of family and friends milling out. O'Shawn Mathis got the. You know, the King's treatment out there at center field with his brother and, and the coaches and Jason Peter was out there talking to him. Um, but, like, it, it felt like a lot of the other guys it just kind of enjoyed being around each other. A bunch of these recruits were in town. Um, by all accounts, it was a, a good weekend, a coordinated weekend on Nebraska's part and how they devoted time to all these guys. And, I mean, you know, I, I think it's, it's fair to say that, that Nebraska will eventually reap a number of commitments from this weekend uh, none to this point, but uh, just the way that they, they laid it all out there, I think they they really p- helped set a foundation, especially for that 2023 class moving forward. If you had to pick a purpose for that spring game, like I don't think it was necessary. I mean, it, it's partially for the fans. They invite the fans in, but it wasn't designed for the fans. It wasn't designed to learn a ton about the roster. It was designed for to get the recruits in there and and show them, hey, look, this I think you can almost <laughs> because the spring game was so bleh. That's almost a recruiting tool still because like look how look how look the product we put out there was touch football. Look how many people still came to see it and stuck around for a while. Like mm-hmm. that's that's a powerful vision for some of those kids. I mean, even the the basketball recruit that that was in uh, the transfer, Antonio Reeves said, "I'd never seen that many people there for a spring game." Mm. So that. If you had to pick a purpose for what the spring game was about this week, I think that's what it was. It was for the, the kids who will eventually play in it. 
Sam, what do you think about their uh, their quarterback commit, William Watson? I know you got to speak with him very briefly and, and kind of lay yeah, eyes on him he, for the first time. I think he's, uh, you know, uh, six foot, close to it. That's helpful. He's not five eight. You know, you don't you always you always wonder a little bit how that's going to look. Uh, I think he's a personable guy. Uh, has has a quality about him. You know, it's a tricky deal there with him there. And he's committed, but he's not signed. And then Dylan Rayola is there, and I think there's an impression that, like, you know, D- Dylan's a year away from a commit, maybe more. I don't know. He could take that out for a while. Um, and so you, you know, on the one hand, you you got a guy that's committed and said he's coming, and then you got this other guy who's the son of, you know, one of the great offensive linemen in school history, and the nephew of, the nephew of an offensive line coach, and you know. How much attention do you apportion each one? And Dylan's been there a bunch of times, and Watson hasn't. So uh, I think you have to be mindful of that. You know, we'll we'll see. You know, I I think the thing they probably like about Watson is his accuracy and his poise in the pocket. And in fact, he's been a big time player where he's been at. And um, yeah, likable kid. Probably will get big bigger physically. You know, in terms of his how much he weighs, but. I think is tall enough to, to get it done at this level. Um, there, you know, a lot of quarter. There, there are tall quarterbacks certainly uh, in college football. I wouldn't describe Casey Thompson as tall. I wouldn't describe Chubba Purdy as tall. Though he's taller than Casey Thompson. He's, a little bit. Yep. He's six two. Um, and I wouldn't. Uh, there's there's just guys that you describe as tall and guys that you don't. And I Watson's not one of those guys, but he can throw a ball. He really can. He, he's a good thrower of the football. And he can throw he can throw the ball all over the place and knows where to throw it and all those things. So um, we'll have more on him as we go on. I uh, certainly he isn't the the big guy that Dylan Rayola is. Rayola is such an interesting thrower um, because he has the ability. He throws like a baseball player, right? Yep. Um, so he's a catcher, but he throws like a baseball player. He's a, he's a, he's a baseball player's delivery, very free, um, very very pretty, uh, longish. It's not real tight. You know, Chubba's is tight. Right up here, kind of like a coil, whereas Rail is, you know, bringing it back and fluid motion, um, and so he can throw almost any kind of pass you'd ever want him to throw. I mean, he can throw it. He's got an incredible arm, uh, and then it just becomes you got to tighten those things up, and you know, once you get in, once you get in the battle, um, you have to learn how to learn how to throw the ball, you know, on time and accurately. But but Rail is a unique passer. And I don't like using Patrick Mahomes as a comp to anybody because I think Mahomes is his own guy and the way he does it is different. And he's also blessed to have the best offensive mind in the NFL to work with. And I don't know that Patrick would be as good if he was playing for my Bears hmm. as he would be playing for Andy Reid's Chiefs. It's just different. So I don't like using that as a comp. I would actually say that Rayola has comps to um, you know, Carson Palmer, Tom Brady, like Tom Brady, like he throws the ball with torque and motion and really pretty. He has more comps to guys like that. 6'3", sturdy, beautiful throwers of the football versus, you know, Patrick Mahomes, balletic, you know, kinetic thing that he does, which is almost unique to him. Mm -hmm. People do this a lot where they say Mahomes this. If you watch Patrick for like a game, or a whole season, he is actually doing it different than most people. So I would say, you know, Dylan's more like Josh Allen, for example, who I think incidentally is just as talented as Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Um, he's more like that than he is like a, you know, a six foot one Mahomes, you know, running around like a shortstop. Maybe the last thing on on football. What and you kind of wrote to this a little bit too, Sam. But like, what's the next? Obviously, Ireland's late August, the season gets going. What's what's sort of some of the the markings of these next few months for Nebraska football? Oh, Sean Mathis has to make a decision at the end of the month. Nebraska needs him. He looked the part when he was there. Um, you've written about him. I think you feel like Nebraska's going to have a very good chance of getting him. But I do. We'll see. We'll see. I, he may have another visit in him. Yeah, you, you never, never know. know. He didn't, he didn't say, he didn't, he's not making his decision this week. He's making it at the end of the month. So we'll see. Maybe there's another visit to come. Um... They've got to decide who they want in the transfer portal and how to pursue them. 
they have to they have to they have to shed players, scholarship players. You can do that one of two ways. You can either sever the one year continuous agreements that you have with some of these former walk ons and hope they get on NIL money, or um, you you can basically tell a guy and hope he leaves because it's hard. Like you know, so I suspect it'll be more the latter than the former. But again, with the NIL money, it's tricky. You know, you can get the financial equivalent of a scholarship without actually being on scholarship. Mm. But they got to get down to 85. Right now they're at 89. Let's say they add two. I think they'll add two. Then they got to get back. And then if DeAndre Jackson decides to come. So you're talking six or seven guys that would need to leave mm-hmm. to, to make that room. They have to decide what they're going to do with DeAndre Jackson. He still intends to come. I talked to him yesterday. He still plans on coming to Nebraska. <laughs> Uh, they got to decide what they're going to do with Xavier Betts. Does Betts come back? Um, does Frost want him back? Again, this is like a big time transfer. This is that's the way to look at that. It's not well. That's just some guy that left the team. It, uh, it's more like this is a guy that can help your football team win a lot of games. So they'll have to figure that out. Camps. Uh, they have five commits now. Won't surprise me if they double that by the end of June. I'm curious to see how Vince Guinta handles the camps. We didn't talk a ton about him, but. I'm curious to see how that goes, whether they turn it back into what Riley, Mike Riley had it, which was a lot of fun, and what it became under Frost was, oh, another one of these. Like, it just, the, the energy enthusiasm got turned way down with Frost and his former, you know, director of ops. Um, so we'll see if that, uh, that enthusiasm level gets turned back up, um, which I think would be good. Uh, and then... They'll have a, I'm sure they'll have a chick, chicken dinner circuit, some sort of Husker tour in June. And Big Ten Media Days in late July. Camp starts end of July. Team leaves for Ireland, August, I don't know, 22nd, 23rd. It's just not much time. Mm-hmm. And then you hope and pray you beat Northwestern. I don't think, I think you can be as as good as you want to be going into that game and you're still going to be clicking your heels a little bit and just going please let us win this game like that's what it'll be like you just don't you won't know till you get there and what the week is like and then you're gonna it's gonna be a night game in ireland it'll be a day game here so it'll be like 11 a.m kick mm-hmm. it'll be like a 5 6 p.m kick there maybe noon here six or seven there um and you're just gonna have to hope and that your team plays like it belongs. Yeah, we'll Illinois not know until that year. game is played. Yep, Illinois vibes. We, I mean, no the question. Lost last year, only accentuated because how will you know? How will you know until you get on the field at Ireland? How it's going to feel? The crowd's not going to have any. Most of the, much of the crowd is going to be Nebraska faithful, or it's going to be people who have no idea what's going on. <laughs> right, and you just won't know until you get there and you feel it. And, you know, you feel like your team, and then you got to come out and run the stupid ball. You can't, you, you know, you got to come out and be who you want to be. You can't, uh, you can't wait and say, well, we're going to hold a lot of stuff back for Oklahoma. So you can't. You just got to be who you want to be and be that team and not be cute and win at all costs. It's, a, it's the most important game of the season. If they win that, then I think maybe they win a couple more and then they get to Oklahoma and, Everybody's fired up and shoulders are, you know, shimmying. But if you lose that game, it's just, oh, my God, are you kidding me? We went all the way over there and they lost that game. That kind mm-hmm. of thing. So that's part of it. Let's move to baseball, sure. shall we? Why is the team so bad? <laughs> uh, and, I, I mean, let's be clear. This is bad. It is bad. You know, it's bad, right? Like this is, you know, one and two against UNO is bad. Getting swept by Rutgers and losing 19-1 to on Sunday and the worst loss in 30 years is bad. Now, you don't have to say that, but I'll say it. This is bad. They're 12-18. and They're not good. Mm-hmm. They're not even mediocre. They're bad. Why? I mean, all the reasons. The, the defense has not been good. Even Sunday, like, I think they had one error in the game, but there were misplays in every outfield spot, uh, both middle infield spots that – continued innings and so it's that it's it's injuries on the pitching side one or two weekend starters are out for sure 
three or four of your top relievers are shelved with various injuries, so you're putting young guys in spots that they're not ready for, which right. we saw Sunday. Got it. And offensively, it's been, I mean, it's just been bad. They've, they've been, there's 300 Division One baseball teams. Nebraska's outside the top 200 as a scoring offense. And you, you break it down, it's it's a little bit of everything. I mean, they don't hit for power. Mm-hmm. They're not getting on base. When they do get guys on base, they're not getting the clutch hits. I mean, they're hitting, I think in this in this losing streak, they're hitting right around 100 with runners in scoring position. And mm-hmm. and sometimes it's to the point where it's not even, forget about the hits, put the ball in play. Runners at the corners with one out, they strike out and then fly out to end the inning. So, like, there have been multiple times when Nebraska could have tied the game late or maybe been in position to win, all they got to do is put the ball in play. Weak, weak infield grounder, fly ball to left, whatever, and they haven't been able to do it. And so I've been thinking, and I wrote a little bit about this today. But this, You wrote a great piece today about the pitching. Yes. Yeah. This season, in some ways, reminds me of 2018. In 2018, for people who forgot about that season, and I wouldn't blame you, they were so ravaged by injuries, pitching on the pitching side, that they finished below 500. It was their worst season by winning percentage in the 21st century. The ERA was bad. But that team had a good offense. I mean, they could still score. And so they were right around 500 still. I think they finished 24 and 28 that year. This team has comparable, very similar uh, injuries in terms of pitching to what that team had. The difference is this team can't score. And so the, the margin for error is razor thin. And that's why I think this week in particular, could get ugly if guys don't step up. I mean, assuming this Creighton game gets played with the weather tonight, BYU is in here for four. You're talking five games in five days for a team that's been struggling to, to fill pitching out for a three-game weekend. And now uh, you're, you're really digging deep with some guys. And so, you know, if you start talking about next year and the year beyond, as we saw in 2018, when you throw those guys to the fire, it can pay off down the road. But in, in the immediate future... They're in a tough spot yeah. because they just they don't have the pitching. The offense isn't going to bail them out, and the and the, the defense hasn't been consistent enough either. With the exception of maybe the, the last couple of years of Mike Anderson, which I felt like was just an abdication of leadership on his behalf, I think it's very hard as a baseball manager and coach, harder than it is in football. I think there's things you can do in football as a coach that can affect change quickly, the plays that you call, the people that you play, all those things. It, it feels very hard to put a lot of this, and this isn't to be a Pollyanna, but it feels hard to put a lot of it on Bolt other than to say they're a little young and maybe they could have found a way to add a few older guys, but it doesn't feel like they're they're pushing the wrong buttons. When guys get hurt in baseball, they get hurt. And the reality is he does. he did say, I think, on Sunday, well, they're going up there without a plan when they're going up to hit baseball is a very cerebral sport. It's, it's probably the thinkingest of all of the sports. Cause you really have to think about what you're doing when you're trying to hit a fastball going 93 miles an hour. What does he mean by that? When they don't go up there with a plan, obviously they go up there wanting to hit the ball, but are they thinking through the sequence of pitches that they're about to see? Is that what he means by that? Yeah. It's kind of like you're, you're, somewhere caught in the middle like their approach generally speaking is to to hunt the fastball as they say so you're timed up for that and then if you get an off-speed pitch where you like it you're not going to to miss that because you're timed up for something quicker and so they feel like they're in a spot where yeah they're, they're kind of up looking for the fastball but they're also sort of cheating and looking for some off-speed stuff and so they're you know it's kind of the worst of both worlds you're you're trying to be everything good and, and you're not doing any of it particularly mm-hmm. well and so i've heard a couple people who i think know the sport very well that feel like they've watched the games they see they feel like the batter's a little keyed up mm-hmm. tight a little, little tight, tight yep little on a little bit on, over on their toes that you gotta you know does that does that sound right that that there's just a certain level of tightness up there and they're yeah. not, they're I, not I think, relaxing i think i've seen that yeah but it surprised me how bad the offense is because Bolt's staff has a reputation for really defining roles well for players. And mm-hmm. we saw it to great success last year. I mean, Luke Roscom was a guy who was a chronic tink- tinkerer of his mechanics. The, the staff simplified things for him last year. They said, just hit the ball up the middle. Try to hit the ball to the big part of the field. And he had a great season. Jackson Hallmark was a guy who kind of thought he was a power guy for a while. And, and then 
they told him last year, look, just bunt the ball, be it, get on base, and use your speed. And and so they focused in what they wanted those guys to do. Mm-hmm. That's worked really well for them the last couple of years. This year, it just, for whatever reason, hasn't sunk in with a lot of these guys who continue to, to try to do everything. Max Anderson, who was one of their better hitters last year, he, he kind of used a basketball metaphor and, and said, yeah, a lot of us are, are trying to play hero ball and hit the ball, you know, hit the three-run homer when nobody's on base. And and so it's it's a young team. It's something they're still working through. The track record of the staff would say that they'll get there at some point. It might not be this year. But, yeah, it's just they, they have really struggled to sort of match up the game plan with the talent and, and what individual guys are best at doing. Hmm. That pitching thing is hard. When guys get hurt, you know, it's just it's just hard, you know, because the guys can throw. If you're not ready for that environment, you can get shelled really quickly. Because mm-hmm. in baseball, it happens real fast. Like when a team kind of smells that they can go after and a reliever doesn't doesn't take long. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't. Like nobody's going to give you – nobody's backing off. It's hard to back off in baseball. Like it's hard. In football, you can do it. You can say, well, look, we're up by 28. We're starting the fourth quarter. Let's run the football and get it the hell out of here. Baseball, that's hard to do because you're not going to just watch strikes go by the plate. Yeah. And it can it can really douse the confidence of guys, you know, because they might be throwing strikes and they're just getting shelled. So it's, I don't know. Like I, I I've been I've watched a lot. I've watched what I can either on BTN Plus. I haven't been to a lot of games this year, but it just feels like there's a, I don't know, the offense just isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. For for what it's worth, especially on the pitching side, like this team overall only one guy is out of eligibility after this year and that's Dawson McCarvel one of the weekend guys right now everybody else in theory could return next yeah. year if they chose to do that so there is a sense of, of sort of building to the future and you look at the recruiting class coming in I think it's seven junior college players most of whom are pitchers so help is on the way as well it just there's sort of you know it's one of those things if you're playing a video game you might want to fast forward to this part and 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 take your developed guys next year, but you got to go through it. And again, the defense and the and, and the, the lineup just aren't giving them a lot of margin for error. So I think it's going to be an uphill climb for them. They got to make the season only halfway through. That's huge. They cannot not top make eight, that here. Top and the Big Ten is not very good. No. Minnesota is awful. Michigan yeah. State is awful. There are some bad teams. They already swept Ohio State. Yeah. So you know, I think they can still make the the top eight and, and get into that field. Just if for no other reason than the league. It's probably going to be like a two-bid league this year for the postseason. Yeah. Felt like last year that the league was really tough because a lot of guys had a bunch of guys back, including Nebraska. That was an old team, and it feels like it's fallen off a cliff. And you know what I'm interested? I'm interested to see if that happens in football too because mm. the Big Ten football last year was hard as hell. There was mm-hmm. a lot of teams that had a lot of old guys. They are hard to beat. Nebraska had some old guys. A lot of teams had a lot of old guys. Northwestern didn't. Right. Remember, Northwestern yep. lost all of their old guys, and they were run through, mm-hmm. right? And so I'll be curious to see if the level of the league goes way down this year because what they were dealing with in the Big Ten West last year was a lot. I mean, Illinois was old. A lot of these teams have gotten a lot younger. Nebraska actually has gotten a little older. They just lost a lot of their old veteran players. So I'll be curious to see if what happens with some of these teams. Minnesota stayed old. They brought a lot of guys back. Minnesota is going to be one of the favorites. So is Purdue. I don't think Wisconsin at this moment would be my Big Ten West favorite. I really they don't. got younger. Yeah, they got younger, and I'm telling you, they're not as good. They're just not as good. They're, they're, the caliber of player in that program right now is not as good as the caliber of player in Minnesota's program. I just don't think they are. I think PJ Fleck has out recruited Paul Christ, and I think Iowa, they're going to be pretty good. But this thing is wide open, and I think P.J. Fleck has inserted himself into this process by recruiting better football players. Hmm. I just don't think Wisconsin's what they used to be, and I don't think they have an answer at quarterback either. I'd take Nebraska's guy, Casey Thompson, over Graham Mertz right now. And to be clear, they're not that far; they're not that much different from each other, except that Casey Thompson's thrown 22 touchdowns and Mertz hasn't come close. Yeah, that's that's the the perception thing we have to sort of come to grips with is like it's a new quarterback for Nebraska, but this is a guy who's 
played major college football for oh, a couple yeah. of years now. So I, the, the on the the on ramp process isn't nearly maybe what. And it I'd feels watch like. Illinois too because they got a coach, and mm-hmm. they've got they've got maybe the best defensive coordinator that they've had in a long time. There, Ryan Walters is a one million dollar defensive coordinator. They're spending a lot of money to win football games at Illinois. Illinois. Their athletic director was a former football player. They are not going. They are not going to be easy. Brett Bielema can coach, and he. He struggled at Arkansas because he was playing Alabama and LSU and Auburn all the time. He ain't playing those teams anymore. It's going to be hard. This side of the league is going to be a bear for Scott Frost. But maybe he can win six. Because we're all what well, when you say win six, we're counting this. We're counting Illinois as a win, aren't we? Sure. Yeah. Should, we shouldn't be doing. That. And probably Purdue. And maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Why are we doing that? Muscle we, memory. No reason. Muscle memory. They've won two in a row. And they won them. They dominated both games. Yeah. I can't wait for the season. I wish it were here. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. We're four months away. We're going to have a lot of conversations. I'm excited about Illinois. About this coming it's up. We're going right. to talk Illinois and Purdue and all of your favorite I'm excited teams. about it. I yeah. love the Big Ten. No one else does but me. It's going to be great. All Spring right. is over. We have a lot of, of, of chewing on ideas to come in the weeks ahead. And we might, might take next week off, but we'll be back here we'll soon after that. Yep. Thanks for listening. It's going to be a fun off-season, fun season ahead. Thanks for sticking with us. Talk to you guys later. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.